for that uh, introduction to my lesson. Uh, it's, it's always amazing to me how we don't coordinate things and things are coordinated for us. Uh, if you were paying attention to the first, especially the first part of Tom's comments, you'll find it's a, the, a great illustration to the sermon. And uh, I appreciate Tom. Uh, my, I've told him myself one of my, I don't know if the word's regret, but I'm going to use the word regret. One of my greatest regrets of this ministry is Tom's ministry goes one direction and mine goes the other direction. And we, we don't cross as much as, we, as much as I would like to. And the times that we do have, have always been uh, encouraging, inspiring, instructional to me. Um, I still... Uh, uh, Enjoy uh, remembering our lunch together with Selwyn and Julia and, uh, a few months ago, uh, one month ago, two, I don't know. You know how time, yeah, comes like that. I don't remember it happening. <laughs> it was a great time of uh, instruction. We, we actually wanted Tom to teach us some things, so he did. I appreciate what you had to say. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, and I was reminded yesterday... And want to emphasize this, that what, when we're reading this, we're not reading the words of John as much as we are reading the words of God. God is speaking here. He's doing it through the inspiration of the Apostle John. And so as we look at this text, we need to remember it's God talking to us. It's not John uh, as much as it is God. In a few moments, we're going to look at chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. But before we go there, I want to tell you that a lot of times when Julie and I, well, almost every time Julie and I counsel people in premarital or marital counseling, one of the very first things that we talk about is how to have an unhappy marriage. And we will go through this together. We'll say, okay, here's what you do. If you want to have an unhappy marriage, you know, make sure that you're, you treat each other in a selfish way. And, you know, make sure you have a lot of arguments, uh, get into debt. You know, we'll, we'll go through all the different things that you can accomplish and have an unhappy marriage if you'll just do these things. And we're always saying it's easy, too. It's an easy thing to do. And a lot of times, especially in premarital counseling, the, the couples will look at us like we've lost our mind. Like, what in the world's going on? I mean, they're so in love at that point, you know, they, they don't know what's going on, uh, what, what I'm trying to do. But I'm trying to make a point by stating the opposite. I'm trying to say, look, this is, you know, we don't want an unhappy marriage. That's not our goal. But we, we so often get there very, very quickly because we're doing the opposite of what we should be doing. So I'm going to state the obvious. This is what you don't do in order. Uh, this is what you do in order to have an unhappy marriage. So we realize, well, this is what I don't need to be doing because I don't want to go there. And that's precisely what John is doing. I think John is doing this as he's writing this to us about love. He takes the story of Cain. And he basically says, don't love like this. This is not how you love. It will lead to murder. If you do it this way, the results are terrible. As we go through this second half of the book of First John, this letter of First John, he's going to be emphasizing this is how you walk in the light. He's been talking about the light 
God is light in the first half. And a lot of what that means. And then in the second half, he says, now this is how you do it. And to sum it up, it's we walk in love. We walk in love. And 30 times, God is going to use that word through John, love. So if you start getting tired of hearing the word love, go to God. Pray about it. Why in the world did you do that? There's a reason he does that. And I think the reason is God knows how short our memory is. We basically forget very quickly what love is. It's like having, going back to my premarital illustration again. Every time we do premarital counseling, we have a couple who are madly in love. They are just so madly in love. And as we talk about it, a lot of times they're, they're like, yeah, 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 we know all this. We do a lot of follow-up. You know, about a year later, we try and get back with our couples and see how things are going. And a lot of times they say, you know, now we know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, and sadly, uh, in a few cases, not, not most, fortunately, we have a couple madly in love. And six months later, a year later, madly in hate. And it's true. They're madly in hate now. And we have to start working with that. So we're going to let John define what love is here. Remember, as I stated last week, love is undefinable. You can't define love, not, not uh, uh, totally, because it's God love. This kind of love is difficult to define. God cannot be completely defined. And so love can't be de- completely defined. Uh, God is love. We'll find out later on in, uh, in chapter 4. And just as we can know God, we can know some things about God, and we can know God to a certain degree. Yes, we can know love. We can define it to a certain degree. But it's something that's going to be an ever-growing part of our maturity. You will never completely learn what it means to love. You can learn more and you can grow in it, but you're not going to exhaust the subject. And so 30 times, that's hardly anything. When we go through 1 John, we see it over and over in different definitions of love. We're going to see different angles of it. And it's going to help us mature in our love uh, for God and for one another. Now, last lesson, we, we began to look at what John, uh, what John says love is not. Love is not, do not love like Cain. And let's go ahead and read verse 11 and 12, where he says, This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. I want to give you a few reminders of what we talked about last week. I know some of you weren't here. And I'm just going to touch on these just to kind of catch us up. And if you have any questions, you can get online and listen to the lesson in in its full. But as we went to Genesis 4, and you can go ahead and turn over there because we're going to look at this once again. We went to Genesis 4 and we looked at the story about Cain. Cain and Abel. And one of the reasons I'm going there is because I realize there's some people here who have never read the story of Cain and Abel. And I also realize that many of us who have read it don't remember it very well. Because we haven't read it in recent years. All we kind of generally know what the story is, but we really haven't looked at it in detail. So we're going to go back to that and look at it in more detail. Some of the things that I saw in this lesson, you know, we, we say, if we, if, we, if we were to say, tell, tell me what the story of Cain and Abel is. Well, Cain offered a sacrifice and God didn't like it. 
And so he got mad and he killed Abel. That's the story. Well, that's not even totally true. You know, if you look at this story, you learn about God. We look at the loving kindness of God in several ways. People miss that. People miss the loving kindness of God. They think God is mad at Cain. But here we see the loving kindness of God in several ways. First, he starts out, he doesn't abandon mankind. Mankind has sinned and he doesn't leave them. He provides a way and a place for people to approach him. It was through this sacrifice that people could approach. And I believe there was an actual place that they went to on the outskirts of the Garden of Eden to offer the sacrifice to God. It was an ancient mercy seat where mankind could approach God through sacrifice. And, and that shows the second thing is he gives hope. God gives hope because right there across the hill on just the other side of the hill was the tree of life. The tree of life hasn't been destroyed. The tree of life hasn't been cut down. The tree of life, it says, he's provided a way to the tree of life. And it's right there in hope. It's going to be available one day. Not right now. God has to teach mankind some lessons about what sacrifice is and what he's done and what sin is. And he has to provide a Savior to come. All these things have to happen before we can have the right to the tree of life. Read Revelations 22, 14. We have the right to the tree of life. We can go back. We have hope. Third, people were taught right and wrong. God communicates with man. That's why I say God did not abandon uh, uh, Adam and Eve. God didn't abandon Cain and Abel. He didn't abandon people. He, he communicates with them and says, look, this is right. This is wrong. And so we see the loving patience as he deal, uh, loving patience of God as he deals with Cain. So we're going to look at some lessons, look at Cain once again. We're going to see what we can learn from him. And it's all wrapped up in this is how you do not love. You know, to help us understand things, the opposite is often very helpful. When you're, when you're learning a word, the meaning of a word, you know, you'll, you'll get these synonyms and then you'll get an antonym. You know, that means the opposite. You know, if you're looking up in a dictionary, you're trying to understand what a word means. And we need to realize the Bible is full. It's, it's literature. OK. And it's written in different ways. There's a lot of symbolism in the Bible. Narratives, stories, similes, metaphors, hyperbole, irony, poetry. And it's important to understand there's different types of literature here. And you might not be a word person. That's fine. OK. We need all types of people. But I happen to be a word person. Uh, and so I, I see these things. I see irony. I see all these different types of, of things going on. And if we don't recognize it, sometimes we'll misunderstand what God is trying to, to tell us. So as we come to this section, this, this section of First John, I think that what I'm seeing here is another type of word picture that's going to come on the screen here. Lab cheese, that's what it is. All right. You, say, you can go to sleep for your grammar lesson right now if you want to. But what is that? It's an ironical understatement in which affirmative is expressed by the negative to the contrary. I will explain. Almost three weeks ago, I fell off of the ladder. I didn't fall off the ladder. Let me take that back. I was coming down the ladder backwards, and the box I was holding pushed me, and I fell. 
As I lay there on the concrete floor in pain, if you had come up to me and said, hey, how you doing? If I would have said, well, I'm not dead yet, that would be a lie piece. It's, an, it's, it's ironic, you know, as I lay there in pain. I am not dead. I'm stating it in the negative to make an affirmative. I'm alive. At least I'm alive. That's basically what I'd be saying. There's a lot of other examples you can have here. Let me throw some up here. He's no fool is one. That means he is smart. He's not the friendliest person. That means he's unfriendly. She's not unkind. Means he's kind. And so all these things, you know, you can almost say, if you were to be able to reply to that, you think so? All right? Or, like, I think it came up in the 80s, no, duh. All right? That would be a response to a lie piece. And so here we have this thing, love one another, don't be like Cain. You think so? All right? You see what I'm saying? So he is, he's trying to make a point here through, you know, so a word picture when he says, Listen, love one another. And so we, we expect him to say, and this is how you love. He doesn't do that. He says, don't be like Cain. There isn't a stronger contrast to brotherly love than brotherly hate. And here we have an example that, that, that John wants to give to us and say, look, here's an example of the extreme opposite. Brotherly hate. Don't be like this. Okay. And so we're going to look at what the brotherly hate is so we can learn how to brotherly love. How not to love. Cain, how not to love. Look at Genesis chapter 4, and I think it would be worthwhile for us to read all 16 verses once again. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and, and, and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one could be who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the, presence of, from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. I didn't bring this out last week. I was just thinking as I read it. 
God's mercy again. You know, that mark wasn't a scar to say you're a bad person. That mark was grace. It was grace saying, you're protected. One person who did not deserve protection, God put a mark on him and said, I'm, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you, even, even though you've done this. That word nod means wanderer. It went to the land of wandering, east of Eden. So what, what happens here? How, how not to love? First of all, we see Cain doing the wrong thing. Verse 2 through 4, he's, he's doing the wrong thing. He's sacrificing wrongly. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a farmer. He was a farmer. When I was a kid, I thought, well, you know, he's a farmer and Abel happened to be a shepherd and God likes shepherds. He doesn't like farmers. No, that's not it at all. He is a farmer. Later on, the law actually prescribes grain sacrifices. So God's not anti-vegetables. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> but what we find is wrong. We go to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, and it says, By faith, Abel's sacrifice. He made an offering. And whatever the difference was, whether it was God said, I want a, a, a sacrifice of blood, whatever it was, Cain's offering was not in faith. Whether he should have taken some of his grain and traded it for an animal sacrifice or whether the grain was fine, but God says it was, it was without faith. He was not God-centered. It was like, mm, i got to do it, whatever. It wasn't in faith. It wasn't in uh, obedient faith. And so that's the main problem. He did the wrong thing because he was living faithless. What did he do? Verse 4, second half of verse 4. He internalized it. He became very angry, he says. And he says, you can read it on his face. You know, sometimes you see that someone comes to the door and you say, hey, what's wrong? You can, you can read it on their face. We'll get to it in a minute. A lot of times I say, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. Psalms 4, verse 4 says, be angry and sin not, or in your anger, do not sin. You know, we can, and I appreciate Janice uh, Greenleaf pointed this out to me in the little note of encouragement. You know, I talked about aggravation a few weeks ago, and I indicated that was a sin. You know, anger is not a sin, but it can lead to sin very quickly. And aggravation really isn't a sin, or feeling down, or upset. Those are just emotions. But here's where we have to be careful. It can lead to sin very, very, very quickly. I'm talking about boy, just like that. If you're not careful, aggravation, anger, and so on can lead quickly to those things. So you have to learn how to change your attitude before it develops into sin. But he didn't. He internalized it. He took it out in and he became angry. It grew in him. The bitterness grew in him. And then he didn't listen to the truth. I noticed this in verse 6. There's teaching, there's warning, there's encouragement. God is talking to him. God himself is talking to him. He says, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? I mean, right there, there's teaching. You'll be, you'll, you'll be rewarded. Do wrong, it's going to capture you. Sin is crouching at your, your door. That's a warning there. You must master it. Encouragement. You can, you, can, uh, you can do well. You can overcome this. You can master it, God is saying. That's encouraging. It's like coaching. I coach my grandson, help coach my grandson's baseball team. I love this age, eight years old. He had a really great triple, I think, yesterday. By the way. Okay, get off that. I'll be bragging too long. But, you know, I love that age because you're coaching them and you teach them. Look, look you stand like this. And then you warn them. Now, you know, when you're catching that fly ball, 
you know, and the gloves up here, don't look for it. <laughs> you know, boing, you know, bounce off their head. I'm always, every fly ball, I hold my breath. And then there's, there's, uh, there's uh, the, uh, the teaching, the, the, uh, the warning, and then there's the encouragement. Man, you did good. That's fine. You can get, you know, come on, good eye, good eye, you know, all this stuff. That's encouragement. And really, I see God doing that to Cain here. He says, look, this is what you do. And don't do that. That's wrong. And you can do it, Cain. You can master. You must master. But he didn't listen to the truth. It led to murder. Literally. Cain literally murdered his brother. And that word is the word they use for sacrifice all throughout the Old Testament. The word sacrifice. It's not that Cain, you know, took a walk with Abel and just got mad at him and punched him and killed him. It's like, oh, man, I didn't mean to do that. It wasn't that at all. It was premeditated. Come on, let's go. Let's take a walk. Let's go out to the field. And he takes a knife, probably, and cuts his jugular vein. That's what the word literally means. It could well be thought of as Cain saying, okay, you cut the jugular of an animal. It pleases God. I'm going to cut your juggler. Let's see how that pleases God. Contempt. Premeditated. That's what Cain was doing. And that led to lies. Verse 9. Where's, Cain, where's Abel? I don't know. I'm not responsible for him. He's a big boy. You know. I don't know where he is. Lying. And then self-centeredness after that. You know, he'd been caught. God said, God wasn't asking that question because he didn't know. He was asking that question for Cain. He, he needed Cain to say, I murdered him. There's no repentance here, though. God tells him the, the, the consequence, the sentence for his, his murder. And then he says in verse 13, let's read this together. My punishment, notice how self-centered he is. My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the land. Whoever finds me will kill me. Who's he thinking of? He's thinking of himself. He's so self-centered here. And the only time he thinks of God, the only time he refers to God there, he says, today he's blaming him. You are driving me from the land. Can you believe that? He's so self-centered here. You know, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. And you are driving me from the land. Which really makes me look at God again and marvel and marvel at God. Because if anyone deserved a backhand smack spiritually or physically, Cain deserved it right there. And look what God is. No, no, no. No one's going to kill you. I'm going to put a mark on you. God's grace is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Here, Cain's patterns is just the antithesis of love. It's what we are not to do. We do something wrong. Sometimes it's not even sinful wrong. It's just something that's not best. We become upset because others are doing well. We're not. They're getting credit. We don't. We internalize it. We become bitter. We become upset. I could do better than that person. We walk around with a chip on our shoulders. We don't listen to correction. We hate others. This leads to murder through gossip, strife, being uncooperative. We lie. We're self-centered. We see this over and over. 
And I'm going to illustrate it two, in two areas of our lives that's very common. And it's really in all of our areas of life. And what I want us to see is God is saying, don't do this. Don't do this. This is how you love and this is, this is how you start by seeing what you don't do. We see it in our marriages. Someone does the wrong thing. Perhaps we don't communicate. Like I said, it may not be a sin. It may be, okay, I didn't communicate with my spouse. You know, we, we, have, we can text and, you know, she doesn't know where I am. Jim was talking about yesterday as he shared at the men's retreat how he, he tries to always communicate with his wife where he is just for that communication. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. And let's say we don't do that. And so she says, hey, where were you? And we get upset. You know, I wasn't doing anything. She doesn't trust me. What, she's trying to be my mother? Nag, 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 you know. We do all these things. And so we internalize that. We do the wrong thing. We internalize it. She's always suspicious. I can't, I can't take a deep breath around her. Mother and nagging. We become bitter, upset, defensive. And then we get to a point we don't listen to correction from her or anyone else. Someone else tells us, hey, look, look, just, just do this. And we're like, ah, I'm not listening to it. And that leads to murder. We murder our wives. We murder our husbands. We don't literally do it, hopefully. We argue. We say hateful things. We're mean. We're talking to other people. Yeah, you know, my wife. You know, we, we just murdered her. That's what we did. When we're sitting there with other guys, we put our wives down, our husbands down. We're with the ladies. And we're, I don't know what your ladies do, but, you know, you're there and you talk about your husbands in a negative way. You just murdered them. You just murdered them, them in front of your, your friends. And then it leads to lies. Hey, how are things going? You know, I know this, things aren't, you guys weren't sitting with each other. She's not with you today. You know, everything okay? Oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Cool. Liar. Yeah. It happens all that. We do this. Can you see the pattern we do in our lives here over and over? We do the wrong things. We put it in our internalize it. We don't listen to anyone else. We kill our spouse some way. We lie about it. We just don't, we don't talk about it. What else do we do? Then we're self-centered. You know whose fault it is? His fault. Her fault. If she would just, if she had, if she had, if she wouldn't say that, if he didn't do that, his fault. Self-centered. Don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain. And yet we see ourselves doing this. See why it's important that we see the negative and apply it? Finances. We do this with our finances. We don't budget. I don't know where all the money went. It, just, it comes in, it goes out, it's gone. And then we see we're doing the wrong thing. We're not budgeting it right. We're not spending it right. We're not, you know, handling our finances right. And what do we do? We see others who are doing well and we get upset with them. I've seen this over and over. Someone else is doing well. I'm not doing so well. We get, what do we do? We get upset with that person. What do we do? We stay there and say, yeah, they get all the breaks. You know, the reason they're doing well financially and just filling the blanks is because they're lucky. They're rich. They take advantage of others. They have a better education. They're a different race. Parents give them money. I mean, whatever. I've heard it all. That's why we start internalizing it. You know, it's their fault. We become bitter, pouty, anger, anger. 
And we then murder. We do that by stealing sometimes, laziness on the job, take advantage of, of others. We start lying to ourselves. Hey, look, I just took ten bucks out of the till because I deserve it. I deserve it. My, my, my um, boss, he, he has plenty of money. You know, he doesn't need this ten dollars. I do. I deserve it. I work so hard. Liar. You're lying. Self-centered existence. It's all around me. Me. See, my finances and the way they're going isn't my fault. It's your fault. It's someone else's fault. It's society's fault. It's whatever. On and on we go. And we see this at church. We see it at work. We see it in sports. Do not be like Cain, John says. Do not be like Cain. Don't be like this. Don't, don't. See this pattern? Don't do that. That's not love. And you can apply it in any area of your life. If you're thinking of another area in your life and you're mad at me right now, you're probably internalizing it right now. Stop. Don't do that. Don't get mad at me. If you're doing the wrong thing, you need to look at it and say, what's happening here? You know, sometimes it's harder to do the right thing than to continue to do the wrong thing. Sometimes it's easier just to do the wrong thing. That's the easy road. Just continue to do what I've been doing. Make no changes in my life. That's the easy road. Jesus said, that's the wide road. That's the wide road. Just easy stuff. And again, Gary, I know Gary deals with this on a daily basis. I deal with it basically on a daily basis. So many times we say, look, here's the right thing to do. You know, just do this. And they get mad at you. Or they don't do it. You come back later and say, hey, how's that homework? You give them a little homework. Did you do this? Oh, you know, it was just a tough week. You want to backhand them, don't you? Don't be like, don't, don't do that. Be graceful. <laughs> you have to be like God. Man, do the right thing. Jesus said, you know, that's a wide road. That's the easy road. That leads to destruction. Destruction of our marriages. And, you know, destruction of marriages aren't just divorce. Sometimes there's destroyed marriages and they've been living together for years. They've just gone through that pattern over and over. Destruction of finances, destruction of relationships, destruction of jobs. All these things, every area of our lives. And God says, don't be like Cain. Here's an interesting thing. God couldn't change Cain. You realize that? God could not change Cain. Or, you want to say, use the word wouldn't, whatever. I, I think he couldn't. There's some things that God can't do. You know that? God cannot lie. He cannot lie. And he can't change someone without permission. That's part of being a human. God, the ultimate gift of trust came from God when God said, look, I'm going to give you free choice, free will. You're a human. You can choose to do right or wrong. You can decide. You can master it, God says. You have a choice. Make the right one. The only person that could change Cain was who? Cain. And we, when we're dealing with relationships, we say the only person you can change is yourself. That's the only person you can change. I, can, I can't change anyone else. I can work with people. I can advise them. I can encourage them. I can teach them. I can correct them. I can rebuke them. I can help them. I can guide them. 
I can direct them, I can aid them, I can comfort them, I can strengthen them. But I can't change them. Only you can change you. And so when we come to these areas in our life and God, and, and God says, do not be like Cain. I can't make you not be like Cain. You have to make that decision. Only you can change you. And you say, it's so hard. This change is so hard. Jesus said, that's the narrow road. Guess where the narrow road leads? To life. And the reason is you, you get into habits. You get into bad habits. You drift into bad habits. And you need to change those habits. It's hard to get off that wide road where misery loves company. Where you walk side by side with self-centered, miserable people who encourage you in your misery. Just miserable, miserable, miserable. But at least you're with some other miserable people. Isn't that wonderful? The narrow road. Jesus said few would find it. And you know, it's not because he hid it from us. It's right here in front of us. The reason it's hard is because we don't want it. We don't want to make the changes. We don't want to take the effort to make the changes in our lives that we, that we need to change. We want somebody else to do it. Counseling a couple about a year ago or so. And with the same pattern. Do this. Here's your homework. They didn't do it. Do this. Here's your homework. Didn't do it. Nothing's changed, by the way. Actually, things have changed. It's gotten worse. So finally, I said, you know, I got the perfect solution. I, you know, I have a pill. There's three of them. You both have to take them. You have to take them at the same time every day, three days in a row, and all your problems will be solved. Julia had never heard that herself. She looked at me like, what in the world? I just came in. This inspiration came on me. I said, now, here's the, here's the problem. Each pill costs $1,000. It's $6,000 to take these pills. But all your problems will be solved. And they're like, what? I said, okay, that's not true. But that's what you want. That's what you want. You want me to give you a pill and say, take that pill and all your problems will be solved. You don't want to change your life. When I say, do this and you don't do it, don't live like this and you live like that, I can't change you. Do not be like Cain. Change the extreme of what we're not to be. This is how you don't love, he says. And so the implications are we are to take love to the opposite, this hate to the opposite extreme. We're to be radical lovers. Verse 16, which we're going to get to, says this. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Cain laid down his brother's life. He says, you don't do that. You lay down your life for your brothers and your sisters. Love learns to do the right thing, learns to accept correction. Cain became re resentful when Abel was rewarded. We, we need to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. Cain did not listen to teachings and instructions and encouragement and warnings. Love listens. Cain murdered. Love builds up. I can go to scriptures for all these. Cain lied. Love speaks the truth. Cain was self-centered. Love serves. Which path are you walking? Narrow road, wide road. Living like Cain, or are you living in faith? Narrow path walker. I'm a kingdom, kingdom child. 
royalty, distinct, different from everyone in the other kingdom. I'm a narrow path walker, difficult, tough terrain, not many walking with me, but I'm not by myself. There's the trailblazer up ahead. I've left things behind that are impossible to carry on this path. The world's weight of worry, selfishness, and pride. I even left myself behind. See if you can figure that out. Worth it? What's a little tough times compared to a glorious life? What's a little ridicule when it comes to father praise? Leaving smallness behind for bigness. That's not hard. Leaving falseness, fakeness, foolishness for truth, honesty, wisdom. A narrow road? Sure. But I'm a narrow road type of person. Let's be that type of person. Let's not be like King. That's the wide road. Let's not go down that path. All those things that we looked at, don't, don't go there. John says, do not be like King. Love one another. And he's going to develop that. We're going to see that narrow path that we're going to walk down as we learn how to love one another. If you're outside of Christ, you, you just live like Cain. You don't even know it. At least we're, we who are in Christ are reminding ourselves, no, we don't want to be that way. We're not that way. We're not created to be that way. We're children of God. Chapter 3, verse 1. How oh, God lavished this on us. And so I want to act like God now. I do not want to act like Cain. So we're going to invite you, if you're outside of Christ, to come into Christ. If you're a Christian and you're just like, you know, I haven't been living right, and you want to talk to our elders, we're going to let you do that. But as I've said many times, you know, the person you need to go to is probably someone on the other side of the room. You just need to seek them out this, this week, this day, and say, hey, let's make this right. Like the illustration that Tom gave us with Henry. Get them together.